0: Welcome to The Doctor Diaries, a podcast which will take you behind the scenes of the intriguing medical world. Join me, Hanya Roversby, as I chat to our guests who will take us through their insights, experiences and ideas as an expert, thought leader and trailblazer in this space. Today we have the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Jared Watts from WA in Australia. Jared is a regional obstetrician gynecologist and currently the head of obstetrics and gynecology in the Kimberley of Western Australia. He's also the Director of Obstetrics and Gynecology for the WA Country Health Service and a WA Clinical Senator. Quite impressive. With Rance Cog. Jared was elected as an, a counsellor in 2016. He's current chair of the ACRRM, RACGP and Ranscog Joint Committee for GP Obstetrics and Certification, Regional Fellows Committee and more recently led the working group to develop the college's organisation values. He's completed further studies in medical administration, public health, and tropical medicine and has worked internationally in several low resource settings including Nigeria, Cambodia, Laos and Syria. Jared as you can see has got um, a passion for rural medicine and the role of the generalist and the essential part they play in ensuring women have access to high quality clinical care close to their home, family and support networks. So Jared that's a very impressive resume and to me you were introduced as this amazing doctor that flies around the Kimberley delivering babies so welcome to the podcast
1: thank you so much
0: (laughs) so Jared we're always so fascinated to hear about your story so maybe we can start right at the beginning so can you tell me about your journey about getting where you are today
1: Absolutely. So I guess just to ruin the ending, I actually was born at the hospital I had trained in and on my very last shift before I became a fully qualified specialist, I actually got to work with a midwife who delivered me. So it's sort of, I haven't really moved on far in uh, life, but a bit of a, there's a bit of a story between that as well. I think my journey. My parents were school teachers and so we moved around every four years. So my life changed to a different country town every four years. And uh, it was in my high school year that I was always going to work in laboratories. I wanted to work like a testing the blood that the GPs would send in. And I went to do that in year 11 and 12 of high school. But that day they couldn't take a student. So they sent me to see the physiotherapist to see if I wanted to become a physio. And the local surgeon just said it was in town. It was a very small country town and so he'd come to town today and they invited me to theatre. And that day I stepped into the operating theatre. I never turned back and decided that that was going to be for me. I did get a little bit of resistance from my high school teachers that, you know, country public school kids don't do medicine, but I thought I'd proved them wrong. So, yes, um, so which, yeah. 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 <laughs> and so.
0: The one person turned up that day that inspired you to, into town.
1: <laughs> I know yeah the, the local country surgeon so yeah
0: wow that's fantastic
1: and so then yeah so then my I uh, think went to you know went to university and um, I always, when I was a younger, my parents always told me that I wanted to become a Royal Flying Doctor and I was very disappointed at a young age to find out that the doctor doesn't fly the plane. So I said that was about the only time earlier in my life that I uh, wanted to become a doctor, but that was because I thought I got to fly a plane. So instead I wanted to become a pilot after they told me that that didn't happen. So it wasn't until a bit later in life I wanted to do medicine and then just ever since then it's been uh, an incredible journey and it's, you know, there's some, some research says that people wouldn't choose their occupation again, but I would choose it many times over it's it's fantastic
0: oh brilliant and look I can't help but observe how young you look Um, (laughs) you've achieved so much at such a young age
1: oh thank you so it's all botox, yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) so you know it's interesting that you say that you uh a country boy from a public school and the teachers are going you're kidding aren't you you doing all this so how did you make that happen how did you get the grades and have the drive to get to that next stage
1: I think that uh, one thing about my personality is you don't ever tell me I can't do anything because I think, you know, I was sort of just interested in medicine, but when I got told I couldn't do it, I was, that was it. I was going to do it. So I'm glad that I actually do love the job because I probably started off with the wrong reason, just being told I couldn't do something. And I had a colleague at, in small country high school, and she also wanted to go on to sort of university and everything like that because most of the people in the country high school didn't go into university qualifications. And we just pushed each other because we both wanted to, you know, get the higher mark and uh, you know we pushed each other and we both got to go to you know university at that stage and then you know got into medicine and continued on through then and you know so sort of medicine was uh, exciting until the, the fifth year when we could actually choose to go to and do a year in the country and I got to go to Broome and then my life has been Broome broom Broome broom ever since so yeah now
0: Broome, Broome's not home is it hometown yeah <laughs>
1: Uh, Broome, yeah, Broome is my hometown. So okay. um, that's where I'm based around about 40 to 50% of the time. But as uh, I think uh, one of our mutual friends sort of said, that I do spend most of my time in planes flying around delivering babies. So that is true. I do look after five country towns with a whole team up in the, the Kimberley of Western Australia. Um, but I do have a house in Broome that I sometimes get to see. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wow, that is amazing. So you studied in um, Perth?
1: Yeah, so I went to uh, UWA, University of Western Australia, which was the only medical school at that stage in Western Australia. Um, And then once I graduated, I started my internship at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital, and I had some amazing opportunities. I wanted them at that stage, they would send us to the Northern Territory. So I went to Alice Springs for half a year. And they also, once again, because of my connection to Broome, they sent me to uh, Broome. I actually started some of my training as a general practitioner. So I wanted to be a rural general practitioner, like the surgeon in the back. At high school I'd seen uh, but I sort of decided that uh, general practice I had to know way too much that was way too hard so when I was uh, doing my GP qualification to do to deliver babies um, they asked me about you know we said we really need some specialists out in the country area and so one of my mentors her name's Ann Carza, just said to me you know why don't you think about being a specialist out in the country we're really hard to get specialists out there and that you know then decided to look into that pathway and go down that tri- trip so hmm.
0: Yeah, very, very good. Very fascinating, like, to go down that specific trip. But you have a million stories to to share about that. But before that, you had practised, you'd been working and done some medicine in Nigeria Cambodia, Laos and Syria. Maybe you could take us through, was that through your fellowship year or?
1: Yeah, so a lot of that was um, just towards my final part of my training and then as a specialist, that sort of more recent work. So I sort of got sort of fell into it a little bit that I was asked to firstly go to Laos and Cambodia to sort of do some upskilling of the doctors there and everything. So mostly in ultrasound training for obstetrics. And um, that was fascinating uh, just to sort of be able to just the most passionate people they didn't really have many resources but they would come out it was a little bit disheartening at times because you know you could you could only do so much but you know it just really opened another world to me so I actually then I was in um, Canada at a a conference just uh, the world ONG conference that happens every three years and like many conferences they had trade shows and sort of was walking around there and I came across Doctors Without Borders so MSF and they said I was just chatting to someone there and then didn't realize, but the ONG sort of headquarters, obstetrics and County headquarters for MSF, are, MSF is actually five big organizations that come under one umbrella actually has a headquarters in Sydney and she was from Sydney. So here we're having a conversation in Canada, in Vancouver with the head of, head ONG for uh, Doctors Without Borders. And once again, she was telling me what she did. And I, yeah, I sort of pretty much signed up on the spot, I had to wait because the Doctors Without Borders are very good that they sort of say that until you're good enough to work in a Australia independently, they won't employ you overseas. And so I sort of, it was another year and a half before I graduated as a specialist. And then I went yeah, across to Nigeria to start with MSF, which was a completely different world. So,
0: yeah. Well, maybe you can share some experiences. I imagine um, obviously you would have had your training in Australia and um, the resources available to you. How did you deal with the. Yeah.
1: I think that um, when I was about to graduate as a specialist I always my my ultimate job was to go back to Broome and be the specialist in the Kimberley at this stage because from my med school training time and all my connections to the Kimberley and I thought it would take me five or six years till that job became available because it's a very short job but I wouldn't believe it two or three weeks before I graduated that job was advertised so I went sort of straight to Broome straight away so I found my ultimate job day one of being a specialist and so I'd been in Broome for a little while and being in the Kimberley I'd, I'd had a very good mentor her name is Uh, Dr Wendy Hughes that had taught me how to be self-reliant, how to get out of trouble when you've got very little resources. Because quite often in the Kimberley, when we're operating and everything like that, the next specialist might be in Darwin or Perth or, you know, that's how the extreme that they can be uh, a fair distance away. So I'd learned from her to be a little bit, uh, you know, quite self-reliant and not need to have all the fancy toys because they're just not available. Mm. And then I got to Nigeria and those skills really came in you know were needed so we were working in a very remote area and you know there's there's nothing there unfortunately as in the way of resource and stuff like that so we were having to use techniques that might have been seen very old-fashioned in australia to you know to save those mothers it was it's interesting that i had never seen a woman die in childbirth ever and unfortunately after that i'd seen many um it was very disheartening to to start with um And I I thought I was a bit of a failure, I must admit, until, you know, sort of as I was leaving, they sort of said to me, you know, we've had a couple of months with the least maternal deaths we've had because, you know, myself and the American doctor, I think we'd we'd worked well. And then the Nigerian local doctors, they are incredible. We'd had a good team and, you know, worked hard together to just try and get some good care. Like the number of women we were delivering, it was just bigger than any hospital in Australia, Uh, and there was only three of us. um, And so it was a very eye-opener to see what the rest of the world has to deal with. And I take my hat off to these women, to the doctors that live there, I had to be, you know, I had to come out a couple of days early just because of some sort of conflict close by and just to get back to Australia to make sure the pathway was safe and everything like that. And I was a bit disappointed when they told me to start with, but after, you know, once I got back and realised how exhausted I was, just going, you know, working hard for those few months I was there and these Nigerian doctors, they do that day in, day out. They just, you know, work so hard. And, you know, these women had three women per beds, and they'd walked hundreds of kilometers you know they traveled hundreds of kilometers to get some help so it's uh, we're very lucky to be in australia and i came back with uh, eyes wide open and realized how blessed we are to be in this country So
0: we're absolutely blessed you know and mm. that's just as you say an eye-opener and sort of sad to think mm. that that even today as we're sitting here mm. in that that situation is occurring not in just in that country so mm. uh yeah we are very lucky and i suppose the women in regional area of WA are very lucky to have you. So it would be interesting to hear practically, I suppose, I can't imagine how you would work this. Is that, you know, is a woman going into labour and you're scooting off in your plane or off to the air? How does this all work? How do you manage so? Yeah, so it's a
1: very fascinating. Um, and sometimes it's sort of a gut feeling um, at this stage. So if a woman sort of deemed very high risk, we might try and get her down to Perth or sometimes to Darwin. Uh, prior to COVID, that was quite common so to, to those big tertiary centres, which had the resources to be able to uh, care for these high risk pregnancies. But sometimes that doesn't happen and we have to just manage them wherever they are. And then, you know, if they're sort of medium to high risk, they might come to Broome, which is where we have sort of 24-hour um, specialist cover. So there's one of our specialists always on call there and then at the other sites we sort of deliver our low to medium risk uh, people who have these gp obstetricians the gp obstetricians are just the most incredible people Mm. they can do anesthetics they do emergency medicine they deliver babies they resus the babies and so they look after those other sites and in broome they're the first uh, that look after the patients there as well sometimes we you know we don't get it or not that we don't get it right but sometimes things just go that you know someone might go into labor in the middle of a community or something like and I I finally got my wish and uh, a few times over the last couple of years I've been sitting at my desk and offline doctors call me up and say we've got a woman who's you know delivering or she's delivered and she's bleeding quite heavily and so I got to you know rush to the airport and get on the RFDS plane which I've always wanted to do as you know as I said there was a two or three my parents used to tell me they wanted to become a raw flying doctor so I finally got to get that wish came true and I flew out with the raw flying doctors and we stabilized the patient there and then they actually flew on with that patient to a larger center and I then Came back to uh, Broome at this stage, so it's always I always say with my job, I, I never know where I'm going to end up by the end of the day, and I absolutely love that. So you know, I can wake up in Broome, and that night I'll be sleeping in a hotel in Kaninara uh, because you know I've had to rush up there and everything like that. So it's uh, it's always an adventure. So
0: uh, it sounds like we need to strap a GoPro to you. <laughs> make a show because this sounds fascinating you're not flying yourself at all
1: no no so I do fly out uh, a lot to the community so we do run sort of six or seven of the smaller towns we have clinics at so we may not deliver babies and they think but we provide gynecological services so um, I quite often jump it's sort of a quick better use of our time to fly out to these communities and fly back uh, and see patients in the day and a few of the pilots have been a little bit sneaky and uh, you know sort of let me have a go at <laughs> uh, holding
0: onto the steering wheel and fly the plane. So. so the wish is uh, true. <laughs> and it's not common what you do. So are there communities you turn up to and they go, what the heck? What? How are you here and why are you providing? Because I, I imagine if you're in a remote location, you're quite used to not having access to your level of expertise. So yeah. has there been times when you've turned up and people go, oh, <laughs> how are you here?
1: Yeah. I think um, it's always sort of, you know, Interesting. So one, you know, things that we have to take into consideration, like the weather, for example. So you know, the the pilot will, you know, just be ringing me up and it's a look. There's a massive storm coming. You need to go, go, go. So we never know when our clinics are going to start and finish and everything like that. And I do get the absolute honour of uh, looking after a lot of um, Aboriginal women from the east side of the Kimberley. So the mm. sort of they're coming from the very remote communities uh, on the Northern Territory-Western Australian border. And these women are absolutely fascinating. So not now, but when I was a medical student, that went and I had my time. And broom. I, I got to meet some of these people who in their lifetime had seen a you know uh, as they would say a white person for the first time and everything like that and they would tell us stories uh, through interpreters obviously at that stage and these women out there um, they're very strong women they are very culturally uh, based uh, they're the caretakers of their families and everything they have incredible health challenges through many different reasons and everything like that and I think quite often they a, um, uh, you know, are quite surprised to see me as a sort of you know earlier in my career, uh, white uh, person out there, sort of talking to them about women's problems. And it did for the first few months, um, people were a bit worried that they wouldn't come in to see me. Uh, but I've got the nickname "Lady Doctor" um, out <laughs> in those communities now, and yeah, the clinics are quite often the women come in, and I, I they sort of to me, but they tell me that I'm, you know, they let me into secret women's business and that is, I know how much as a male and as a Caucasian that is just such an honor to be allowed to do that and uh, they sort of, they share with me uh, everything so that's a huge honor I know that uh, it's not allowed to many people so.
0: That is amazing because I yeah. I imagine there'd be, you know, so many um cultural or religious mm. barriers to, mm. to you being allowed into this yeah. sacred, sacred part of their lives, it's amazing It's mm-hmm. so good that they're, um, accepting of you in that way so that's amazing. Moving forward I suppose so you're uh this is all in the public work or is this in your? Yes yeah work? yeah
1: so I sort of have three three jobs uh and so uh, sort of three days a week uh that I work publicly sort of providing the services throughout the Kimberley and then one day a week I work in sort of a slightly more administration role as the director for the country hospitals so uh, so looking after all the country hospitals obstetric services and gynecological services in uh, western Australia and then just recently another one of my life goals was to start working at a university so I now one day a week get to uh, teach medical students which is uh, good because they always ask you questions that you've forgotten the answers on. you have to keep up to date yourself and everything like that with teaching. So I guess everything I do sort of in the public um, sector.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's that's amazing. That's fantastic in the public sector and the obstetric services you're providing and it's amazing service through that sort of northern part of um, Western Australia. Where do you see it going next? How is it going to improve? What? How are things going to change? Or what would be on your wish list, perhaps? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So look, I think that distance is a big issue and at the moment for example like we've got the wet season in broome and sometimes we can't even get planes out to some of these communities so sort of you know the raw flying doctor can't even land at some of these communities and everything like that so we really have to start to think very carefully about how we are going to provide services and it's sort of technology and that's sort of one of the um, a little bit of my other interest is looking at how we can use technology to make sure my passion is that you know, women in the most remote part of the Kimberley, or or all in or any of the remote part of Australia, have the same access and same outcomes to you know the the women in metropolitan areas do, and so ways that we can actually do that is technology, and I think that that's one of the big areas that um, hopefully in the next uh, year or two you know we'll be able to provide better services. So this telehealth, we you know, COVID has been absolutely awful for so many different reasons, but my goodness, has it accelerated the use of technology uh, and things that we thought were going to take as years have happened overnight and everything like that and that's great that I have delivered a baby by video conference in a, in a community where there was uh, no one that had delivered a baby for about 20 years and, and I could control the camera so I was zooming in and out and you know watching the uh, ultrasound and could guide that team through delivering the baby and it was very stressful I think for everyone um, I don't want to do that too many times but it's amazing what technology can do these days and I think that that's the that's the future so we can sort of keep these smaller hospitals going um, but still provide excellence and evidence-based care.
0: That's inspiring and it's amazing. I totally agree that the technology was fast-tracked last year, 100%, and uh, not only that, the technology perhaps was always there, it's just that it was the acceptance of the mm. patients and the practitioners and so forth. Now, Jared, are you sharing all your great learnings with anybody else in Australia or is it? are you keeping it, all your great secrets in the Kimberleys?
1: Um, Yeah, so one of my mentors, again, uh, sort of did say to me, uh, sort of, you know, you you can sort of, you need to looking after a woman and, like, her family right there and then is, like, it's just so rewarding straight away. But, you know, you can only do sort of one, you know, you can only look after one patient at a time. And if you really want to make big changes, you have to get involved in politics. And I must admit, I'm not a political person and I don't really uh, like playing you know you have to play the games everything like that I think that's correct and everything but sort of she sort of told me that you know you need to get involved in if you want to make real differences and so I think one of the most things I've done is got involved in sort of the the national council for RANSCOG so that's the group that looks at obstetrics and um, gynaecology and I sit on that council there and that's been an absolute honor to actually get to have face-to-face meetings with federal health ministers and state ministers and things like that and be involved in policies because as doctors I think quite often we're so busy looking after the patients these policies and budgets and everything like that are decided without our yeah. knowledge or our involvement and therefore you know when they come out we complain because like this doesn't make sense this policy is not going to make sense on the thing so I'm very passionate about trying to get us doctors and nurses and midwives actually involved um, on the in the policy development and in the politics as well so hopefully uh, we we can be uh, can share some of these ideas through those sort of means and everything I think you know, when I go to Melbourne, where I go quite a bit uh, for meetings and everything, all pre-COVID, <laughs> um, you know, they quite often sick of me saying in the Kimberley. But uh, you know, we, we do have lots of uh, conversations like that.
0: No, fantastic, and that's great to hear that you're an advocate for that rural, rural and remote care of women, which is fantastic. So, Jared, you're busy doing all this. Is there another side of you? Is there a hobby, or what? What do you do to recreate? It's yeah. So
1: I like to keep busy, and I, and one other thing is I like to I do some try to do some studies sort of outside of you know pure medicine, which I, I find quite interesting. Just keeps the brain going, but a whole different area. So I um, I, I don't think I've actually not been a uni student. So um, most times I actually enjoy like studying things that are quite random compared to medicine, just to keep the brain going and everything that's not medicine. I love fine dining, which uh, you know and sort of going out, and uh, which is always a treasure when I get. I, you know the Kimberley has some amazing food and everything. But I think I've eaten everything menu through about seven or eight times because I'm not a very good chef uh or cook and so quite often get to go out for those meals it's always a pleasure and then travel and I always find that actually organizing the travel and planning is just as much fun as a holiday so normally take months to plan the holidays before I actually go on them so that takes about nine months before I actually get to go on the holiday as well so they're sort of things that keep me entertained
0: oh fantastic well as you know there's not Much option for all Um. of us. So when do we come to Broome? Tell us when we're meant to come to visit you. Oh, in Melbourne. So (laughs) um, I love WA. We have family in Esperance, actually, so I understand the south bit, but I don't quite understand up north.
1: yeah. So I think the Kimberley, the Kimberley is quite interesting that there's two, you know, everyone comes in the dry season. So you've got the beautiful scenery and you've got it. uh, I once heard on the radio, someone said that the weatherman in Broome has the world's easiest job. He sort of comes in or comes in April and says, you know, it's 27 degrees and blue skies and comes back in September and changes it because it's the same every day. And that's true. But I would actually recommend people come in the wet season because, you know, there's no traffic jams. like yeah um the and the waterfalls and the sunsets the sunset in wet season these big tropical storms that you know there's lightning constantly you can always say lightning in these storms it's every few seconds there's lightning going off um, and these most amazing colours, it comes alive. You'll you, you just have to put up with the 100% humidity and 47-degree oh. you know, heat at some time and uh, and you can't swim at the beach because of the jellyfish, but oh. the, the scenery comes alive in the yeah. wet season.
0: So. It's lush. It sounds very lush. It sounds delightful. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to come and visit. I've not been to yeah. Broome. It'd be a great place to come and, come and stay. Well, yeah. Jared I suppose my uh, question at the end is here to say looking back and reflecting on what you've achieved so much now and being the young student in the country school is there anything that if you were to look back any advice that you would give the youngest your younger self?
1: I think that uh, if I did yeah definitely that it's so cliche, but I think that's something that I didn't really always do. And I'm trying to do now is just enjoy the journey and don't just always look at the end goal. And I've always been so driven that I'm always like at the end of the year, this is what I'm going to have achieved and like, and then planning the one year, the five year goals and everything like that. And quite often I just don't you know, don't ever stop and just say, well, you know, we actually enjoy today because it's today. And I think that that's, you know, something that I would definitely tell myself to probably slow down a little bit and enjoy the journey. Don't sort of, you know, it's just like I'm gonna finish medical school, then I'm gonna finish specialty training because, you know, you, you sort of got to enjoy it. it's a long time medicine, both at you know, undergraduate and postgraduate as well. And I think the other thing is that you know, you've got a whole life to fill in as well. Hopefully we all have a whole long life to fill in as well. And one of my, I um, love lots of mentors in my life, one of them she said to me once, you know, when you sort of come to the end of your life, you're going to sort of say, like I was a specialist doctor for 35 years or 30 years, it's not gonna make much difference. So, you know, take your time to enjoy, have variety, try something new. Don't be scared of taking those risks. And I think that's what I would tell myself. I've learned to do that now, but I think I would have liked to known to do that maybe five or 10 years earlier.
0: Uh, good advice. Good advice. Enjoy the journey. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jared, thank you so much for your time today. I'm I'm very excited to watch your story and um, find out more about what develops with your services up there in the Kimberley. And most importantly, I can't wait to come and visit one day.
1: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Bring that mosquito repellent in the wet
0: season. Oh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll do. All right, Jared. thanks so much for your time and I look forward to catching up with you today. Thank you so much. So much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Doctor Diaries. You can find out more about our amazing guests on our website, hanyaroversby.com.au, or join our Instagram page, Dr Diaries Podcast, to find out more about our podcasts. We look forward to you joining us again.